Our scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you and these know, excuse me, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. For those of you who may be visitors with us this morning, this is not our normal sermon time, but rather an opportunity to kind of give us an update on the state of the United Methodist Church and to look at how Stony Brook might be responding. It's a uh, important, I believe, to be in this particular conversation because the news will tell us a whole lot of stuff. And it's important that we do as best we can to have some of the facts. So our first slide this morning addresses who we are as a denomination. This was a study done by Perkins Theological School. Uh, it estimates that the very conservative side of the church is about 20%. Okay? There's a broad middle of about 65% and about 15% on the very progressive side. Now, what does that mean? The very conservative side have been given the made-up label. I, I pinky swear, I think this, this incompatibilist is a word they made up. <laughs> Just for this occasion. So the traditionalist incompatibilist are those who have a strong belief in Scripture that marriage is between a man and a woman and that biblical faithfulness requires not moving on that position. Comes out of a deep desire to be faithful. 
the compatibilist big center include traditionalists who say, you know, that's where I am personally, but it doesn't have to be where everybody else is in order for me to be in church together. All the way to the progressive compatibilist who would say, I'd really like to be all-inclusive, but I can understand why folks don't go there all the time, and so we can still worship together too. The progressive incompatibilists uh, tend to be more those who say, it has to be inclusive of everyone without restriction, and that too, my friends, is out of a deep biblical faithfulness that believes it has to be all-inclusive. So you have, you have deeply faithful people across the continuum who cannot agree on this particular issue. In February of this year, the General Conference voted to adopt uh, the traditionalist plan. Now, what that means uh, is that it expanded the disciplinary language that we currently have uh, in the definition of self-avowed practicing homosexuals. That means anyone who is said I'm lesbian or gay, anybody who's living together, etc. It just it they're trying to close the loophole, as it were, in in the definitions. It prohibits bishops from consecrating, commissioning, and ordaining. Now, what that means is uh, consecration is for those who are going to be United Methodist clergy. They have a probationary period in which the church says, yep, they appear to have the gifts and graces for ordination, but they're going to have this probationary time in which they need to prove themselves before ordination. So they are consecrated. Commissioning is for your deacons or those who are in service ministries. They are not itinerant. They find their own jobs, etc. And then, of course, ordination is self-explanatory. Added have been the mandatory penalties for clergy who break the rules, who go ahead and do the marriages. First offense, one is uh, removed from your church for a year without pay. The second offense then is the removal of your credentials and your removal from the life of the church. So that, that's different, okay? It prohibits boards of ministry from approving candidates that don't meet those requirements uh, around sexuality. Now, up until now, uh, boards of ministry were not required to ask about your sexuality. Uh, now, they must clarify that that question has been asked and uh, it's not going further. And it also deals with the complaint process. Um, I guess the best way to say it is because we've been in this kind of interim period of time, the complaint process has taken place. 
but there's been a sense that we don't know where things are going to land, so don't penalize people until we know where we are and who we are as a people. That's the best way I know how to explain it, and, and that has been kind of cleared up to make sure the process goes through. Now, there's also new provision for how a church might exit the United Methodist system by disaffiliation. It would require that this congregation call a church conference. And a church conference is constituted of every member in the congregation. You'd need to be a member. And it would require a two-thirds affirmative vote that you wanted to leave. Then it would go to the conference board of trustees and they would determine the terms under which you could leave with your property, okay? Now, in the United Methodist Church, there's a thing called the trust clause, which means the church that we built, we don't own. That's the best way I know how to say it. It belongs to the denomination that provision was put in there years ago in order to prohibit um, clergy who wanted to go rogue or churches that just wanted to walk away without being responsible to the relationship that they've had within the connection. Okay? Uh, so the cl trust clause is there, and uh, it also requires that the church pay its portion of the... Um, pension, and there's a word for it that just walked out, the unfunded portion of the pension. Now, understand clergy and retired clergy, when they retire, are collecting pension. So all of a sudden you have churches leave, there's that liability for those clergy. Uh, the latest estimate is that it would be about seven times your annual apportionment, which, my friends, is a mortgage uh, for some churches, okay? So it's very expensive. And then the disaffiliation agreement would then go to the annual conference. The churches that want to leave would go to the annual conference, and the annual conference, by simple majority, would have to vote. So it's a process, Basically, there have been two what I would call associations or caucuses. They're not legal entities of the United Methodist Church, but these are the two organizations that are doing their best to try to figure out how do you do this and do this well. The Wesleyan Covenant Association's been around about five years, and then the United Methodist Church next is newly emerging. So Wesleyan would consider themselves traditionalists and the UMC next would be centrist progressive, okay? Uh, tried to boil this down as tightly and, and simply as possible. Uh, Wesleyan Covenant Association believes in the authority of scripture and the lordship of Jesus Christ, meaning scripture first and always. Uh, a maintenance of traditional, historic, or orthodox Christian beliefs along with Methodist beliefs. 
the equality of all persons. Now, if you read their inclusivity statement, uh, it's race, age, nation, culture, etc. It does exclude sexuality because that's the line in the sand. Okay? Uh, marriage is a sacred covenant between a man and a woman, and, and that's a line in the sand. Now, this came right off the UMC Next website, so that, that's why you have the direct quotes. Uh, essentially, this movement uses the tagline that we all Methodists use, which is for the transformation of the world. And it goes into the statement, we're passionate followers of Jesus Christ with Wesleyan uh, vision of Christianity anchored in Scripture tradition, experience, and reason. In other words, Scripture is always primary, but we use the Wesleyan quadrilateral, the, the ex tradition, experience, and reason to shape our understanding of life together. Okay? Second statement, we commit to resist evil, injustice, and oppression, in all forms toward all people. Now, where do you hear that language? You've heard that before. Where's it from? It's your baptism. That's right. So it uses that language uh, toward all people and build a church that affirms the full participation of ages, nations, races, etc. Now, it does go on to make the next rather big statement, which says we reject the traditionalist plan approved by General Conference as inconsistent with the gospel and will resist its implementation. Now, what does that mean? It means a whole lot from here to here. For some churches and annual conferences, that will mean weddings and acceptance of gay clergy. All the way to we're going to put a sign out on the street that says we want to make sure everybody knows that they can be welcome here and everything in between. So it does not mean everything for everyone. Okay? It's, it's not a sweeping rejection. Okay? We will work to eliminate discriminatory language and the restrictions and penalties in the discipline regarding LGBTQ persons. Now, the, the real language is around clergy and weddings. Th those are the two places. And we affirm their sacred worth, celebrate their gifts, and commitment to being in ministry together. Okay? So let's talk for a second about Stony Brook. In the United States, within United Methodism, 81% of the churches are small membership. Lots of little churches. 15% hit the uh, middle size, and then 4% are large membership churches. You are a large membership church. Where did I get this? I, I wrote United Methodist Info, and they wrote me back and told me. Okay? Small membership churches are 60 to 150 with typically less than 100. And if you are fewer than 60 in attendance, you're called a family church. And you know each other. And you're related to each other. Okay? It is 
relationship, relationship, relationship driven. Uh, I had a good friend who visited here and said, do you always take that long to pass the peace? Decisions are made in the, in the small membership church by consensus. They don't have enough co- people to make committees. You know, so everybody just kind of agrees we're going to have a Thanksgiving potluck, and that's the way it goes. Okay? The pastor is meant to meet, greet, and preach and stay out of their business. If young clergy would ever just understand that, they'd be so much more successful. It's not your job, okay? You think I'm kidding. I'm not. Outreach is very local, and it's direct, oftentimes person-to-person, family-to-family. And people, it's all about the people. Lovely. The middle-sized church, 150 to 300, 100 to 250 in worship, it's gotten big enough then to need programs to address the need of the congregation. And your new members will be attracted by those programs. Decisions then begin to be made by committees and ad councils and things like that. The pastor begins to cast a vision for what the future could hold. And so that uh, spiritual leader role is there, but also visionary leader comes on board. Discipleship and equipping laity becomes how you then disciple the congregation. Okay? You can't do it all by yourself, and so you need to start uh, equipping the laity. Now, at this point, you begin to lose intimacy because you've multiplied services to address the needs of the community, and you can no longer know everybody. That is a tremendous pain to congregations, and often, because of that pain, they'll never grow further. They don't want to. It's too painful. By the time you get to our size, you have to have a staff-driven church uh, because you can't have enough committees and responsibilities for everybody to keep up with what needs to be done. Decisions uh, begin to be made by the leadership board. If you want to know who your leadership board is, there's a little packet, I mean, a, a basket of these right outside the door. They set the vision and 100,000-foot and, and view for the life of the congregation and are the ones who come up kind of with the broader uh, goals and desires understood from the church. The uh, pastoral care begins to be shared because you cannot keep up with the number of hospitals and homebound and follow-up calls that are required as an individual or two. Tracking and keeping up with your visitors and members who kind of come for a while and becomes very difficult, very difficult, uh, so that you don't just lose people. Uh, And the complexity of the church changes because now you have enough uh, interest and diversity in worship, you need to have different opportunities to meet people's needs and expectations. So it's just getting bigger. 
Now, what does that mean for us? What makes you so precious? And I mean that. So unique is that somehow you manage to become a large membership church that still feels like a small one. You mean it when you get up and greet each other. You gotta check in. You need to know how your family's doing and how the concerns are going. You take that very seriously. As a result, you have, I believe, right around 20 small groups, which is huge, and they are historically long. You've been together a long time. You have pew captains. Did you know you have pew captains? They sit in the, sp in, in the same kind of area and they notice who's new and who's not. And if you got out of here without a dozen people saying hello to you, I would be flabbergasted. This congregation uh, is just incredible. The bold, one of the bold goals of the 2019 Leadership Board is to be very deliberate then about the care that we have for each other going out into the community. They just want the community to know the richness of our relationships and of our care for each other and our desire to continue to build that community. We're thrilled to death that the bike path has come now through the property and what it might provide for us, an opportunity to reach out to others and engage community in multiple ways. Now understand, our church family, I believe, reflects the diversity of that bell curve. Let's go back that one. Nope, I'm sorry, forward. There. That bell curve is us. That is your leadership board. The diversity you see on that chart is reflected everywhere among us. And it's been a wonderful thing to have for a long time, and no one ever made you vote on it. I just want you to remember that. But when 2019 in February happened, the news had all kinds of things to say about United Methodist Churches, and they weren't particularly kind. And so one of the things that the board wanted to do was to figure out how to say to the world, to our community here in Kahana, that anyone who enters our doors is going to be safe and that they are welcome, and that the theological diversity that we have is welcome in the people that we bring into our doors. As a result, the, the church asked, the leadership board asked that I do think three things. Have this conversation today uh, to create a survey because we want to make sure when we create a welcome statement 
that it reflects your thought, input, and has been asked for and respected and taken into deep consideration. The most gracious thing in the world you can do is ask. It would be terribly rude not to. So go back one place, just one. So we're working on a statement, but we have put this survey together, okay? And it's gonna be online. Go ahead, Rick. Um, well, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead of you. Go back one more, that's it. What we want you to know is that there's nothing to vote on, okay? As of January 1, the traditionalist plan goes into effect. That's the, the timing of how that works within the denomination. So there's nothing to vote on. Uh, General Conference 2020, elections for that, both lay and clergy, will take place uh, this summer, this week for us at West Ohio. Uh, for delegates to 2020, and you can be absolutely certain that uh, the debate will continue on both sides. So until that is settled, the question is, who do we want to be? How do we maintain the health of this church family? Uh, I can share with you that there are pastors who have not had these conversations. There are boards and leadership boards that have not had the conversations, and therefore they've had nothing but struggle as a result. We're committed to not doing that. If the church can't figure it out, as sweet and dear as this congregation is, maybe we can. And that certainly is the desire to leave this church family healthy and as intact as absolutely possible. So we're gonna ask. Now understand this, there is nothing within that survey, and I mean nothing, that goes against the discipline. Hear that? But it will surprise you. They'll, it will go too far for some, it will not go far enough for others. And the invitation is for you to say so. Please say so. The answers on the survey, it will, if you go to this next one, it will be online and sent out to you by the mass email, okay? I believe that date's wrong, isn't it? The 14th. It's going to be up for two weeks, right? Okay, so um, it's, it's not, not, yes. So that date's wrong. Two, nine, and 16. So it will come to you with that address. Now, if you're one of those folks who doesn't like email or survey monkey, that's what this is, uh, there are hard copies in a little folder right outside the door. You can do that. The reason we'd appreciate it if you took it online is that SurveyMonkey tabulates it and you don't have to enter all that by hand, okay? And it is anonymous. 
No one has to sign their name, okay? And it, it, it will not identify you by taking it through SurveyMonkey, okay? Only request is don't do it on paper and do it online, no stuffing the ballot box. Okay. All right, now, we intentionally wanted to leave some time here at the end if you have questions. Uh, the ushers have little slips of paper that you are welcome to write something down on, pass it in, and we can take them that way. We can take a few verbal ones right now, but want to make sure that if you send in a question that doesn't get answered, we'll get back to you. Why do you want to know if we can help? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. They have gone through a process. We Methodists are all about methodology. A process of education and decision-making that says we are going to be all-inclusive. Okay? That's what reconciling in this context means. Is that helpful? But if you did that, it would have to be a process that the congregation took. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Oh, absolutely. Thank, and thank you for receiving it so graciously. Really appreciate that. Yes. Anyone else? There was another. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes. Someone said, do you have to be a member? If you're attending regularly, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's not a vote. You know, it's for input and reflection. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Uh, open to members only. Uh, does that mean, uh, is the survey open to members only? Was that the question? I think, you know, if you've been attending, you know whether you're a visitor or not. So I, it's okay. It will ask you, yes. Oh, no, they are not, and that's a great question. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, lots of churches are having no conversation at all, and when the, when the decisions have to be made, they won't have built the relationships or had the conversations to make good family decisions. So you are to be deeply commended for being willing to do this. Yes, ma'am. Excellent question. The Judicial Council is made up of, is it 10 bishops across the country, across the world, across the world. And when there are legal questions to be uh, answered, they deal with it just like the Supreme Court does. They're not bishops. Oh. They are elected, as, but they're all lawyers. <laughs> but they're not bishops. Well, see, and I learned something. Thanks, Sue Ellen. Oh, thank you. Since then, they basically went through the traditionalist plan when it was voted on and, and determined what was constitutional and what was not. 
okay? And so what you see this morning was deemed constitutional. Okay. Yes? Well, it, it would be the U.S. Church as a central conference, is that the right word, Zillin? As a central conference from the world Methodist Church. So it wouldn't just be Africa. Um, who knows if that'll happen? Uh, that's one of those crystal ball questions where you don't know uh, if that will be one of the strategies that's used and voted on later. Nobody knows. But that would allow us, central conferences have the, much of the discipline in common, but they are allowed some flexibility culturally and within their uh, expectations to, to deal differently. Is that, that's the best way I know how to say it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, and as your leadership board, too, thank you. There, there will absolutely be nothing but transparency in this congregation. I promise you that. There will be no secrets, ever. No secrets. Um, just, that just can't be. That's, uh, secrets are a sign of dysfunction. Yes. Yes, ma'am. We will. We will. We'll let you know what we figured out from it. And, and, and do as uh, full a report as we possibly can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes? You bet. This cross burns hot in my hand. It, it burns hot in my hand. Anyone else? Thank you, Carl. Scripture first sounds like Jesus is second. God is love, period, full stop. It pains me greatly that the love of God as shown through Jesus is second. What is that? Fair question. No such thing as an unfair question. As I understand it, uh, that's understood. Scripture first would mean Jesus first in the traditionalist view. 
it, it's uh, scripture first means being faithful uh, to the understanding that scripture provides. And for those in the traditionalist perspective, that really means it says you can't, you can't do it, so you can't do it. And that is a faithful response to Jesus. Okay? Now, the other side is that for those who would be more on the progressive side, to love Jesus means you have to love everybody else too, and that's just as biblical. So you can see why the debate has lasted for 45 years and, and why it's, um, it's going to be difficult to resolve because everybody wants to be faithful. I can't imagine that there's a single soul involved in this debate that does not desire with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength to be faithful. So, I hope I answered that appropriately. Yes, sir. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Thank you for adding that, Matt. I just want you to know, if all of us were without, or were, if, if you had to be without sin to come to the table, none of us would ever be served. So... This is not going to be easy, as it never has been. We're going to struggle. But can, the question remains, can Stony Brook find a way to remain the, the wonderful, precious family that you are uh, and be a witness to something the conference cannot do, maybe even the denomination cannot do? I'd, I dare to think you could. Mm -hmm. Caucuses is what I, uh, that's what I would call them. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess churches are, uh, can belong to the organ. Yeah, there are definitely organizational people sign up. We support X, Y, and Z of this side. Basically, what the accomplishment is is legislative in nature. I think both sides are trying to figure out the way forward. How do you resolve all of this? And that's what each side is trying to do. Yeah. Okay. Our time's up. You, uh, you are more than welcome to submit things in writing, and the ones we get in writing will respond to um, as best we can and uh, see if we can get those out as well.